Welcome to the Outdoor Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Wolf, and I'm here with Mike May and CJ Whitaker, the founders of Pingora, and so much more. I would give them their own their own introductions, but there's two of them, so I'm going to let them introduce themselves to you. Mike, tell us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Usually, we like bullet point things. Like I am a father, a bull wrangler, a that kind of stuff. So perfect. Yeah. Uh, we well, have yeah, Mike May, co-founder of Pingora, along with CJ Whitaker, uh, father, skier, uh, creator, and cat herder. Cat herders. A f- I've, I've, we haven't heard right. one that that one yet, but. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm CJ. Uh, I spend time in the outdoors, uh, backcountry skiing, climbing, and r- trail running. And other than that, I'm designing product. Yeah. So for the outdoor industry. Awesome. Awesome. How long have you been designing product for? Uh, over 20 years. It's a long time to be designing product for. Yeah. Especially, and I feel like a lot of product designers that I know are focused on specific industries. So. I'm glad that you're focused on the outdoor industry because I think we've all been we've all benefited from it. So, <laughs> so I met you guys initially at um, ISPO in Germany. It's funny um, we we went out with a delegation of other Utah outdoor companies, and I even though I live basically down the street from most of the people that were there, I didn't know any of them pretty much beforehand. So, so many brands here. Yeah. It was super cool. Utah is flush with outdoor brands, and I think we had like a really good group go. And I guess it was almost a year ago now, yep. in, in November of 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, so no- November 2023, you guys going? Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, when the government helps subsidize it, that's pretty sweet too. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, it. Yeah. And then Utah cares about the outdoor industry enough to be like, yeah, here's like grant funding and it doesn't cover all of it, but it covers enough of it to be like, okay, cool. We can go expand. And, um, it's super helpful. How has business been since November, 2022? I know I've seen you guys a couple times since then, but yeah. Uh, well, so I, I would say our business since November, 2022 has been uh, a whirlwind. Yeah. Uh, realistically since, since the last time we went, uh, we had just started conversations with a Japanese distributor uh, that we had met in June uh, at the summer version of ISPO. Cool. Um, and we were kind of pivoting our, our business model from a uh, primarily uh, promotional-based uh, product and white-label uh, product company uh, where the brand was kind of secondary to, to the product uh, to trying to reinvent um, our, ourselves and a brand that was a full-on consumer brand. Yeah. Uh, I think it was scary for both of us for, for a few reasons. And so, yeah, so in November, we were really just kind of trying those shoes on uh, seeing how they fit. Um, so yeah, the business has just gone crazy <laughs> since then for a few different reasons, but yeah, a lot of it's just been brand building, uh, getting product here, getting product feedback, uh, from that first year and really kind of, uh, um, you know, using that as a springboard, uh, into next year, which looks to be even, even more lucrative. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to hear. Um, would you agree? Yeah. Man. Yeah. yeah. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, after ISPO, I went to Asia for like a month and a half, spent Christmas and New Year's there, rushing to catch up for spring 2024, and yeah. went to many different countries that <laughs> during that time, <laughs> just catch playing catch up. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, so where, are, are both of you originally from Utah? Or? We, we are, yeah. yeah in fact, we cool. grew up uh, two blocks, three yeah, blocks away from blocks each other. Away. Yeah, he grew up down down the street from me essentially, okay. and one of our best friends was our friend Ryan, and he introduced us when we cool. were like fourteen, probably. Wow, 
Yeah. Well, Ryan, yeah, Ryan introduced me by uh, crashing me uh, out of his bike trailer right in front of your house. Uh, when Explain we were 13, that. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I just being teenage kids, right? He's like, hey, hop in the back of the, you know, the, the burly on the back of this uh, uh, bike, and I'm going to go, you know, take turns, you know, whatever. Just being being kids, just right? Being and he's going down the kids. street and yeah. decides he's going to take these big turns, and the burly kept, you know, tip up on one wheel, and it finally just tipped over, or slid down the asphalt on my knees, and I think we ran in and got some band-aids from your mom's house or something. <laughs> Um, nice. And then the next year, found out that we were going to school together. So we we spent one year, uh, ninth grade together, um, at Roland Hall here in Salt Lake, and yeah, kind of formed a, a pretty pretty good bond. And our bond uh, was formed year. over over skiing and a desire to go into the backcountry and extreme extreme ski. Yeah, and he had gone to like a steep skiing camp with Doug Coombs. What the heck? And That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it was just like, holy crap! Like this guy's. Legit. Yeah. <laughs> so, what had, year was him, that? Had him fooled. Uh, yeah, the '94. Yeah, '94, '95 uh, ski season, school season. Cool. Yeah. yeah. That's sweet. And, and he was also racing at the time, and I remember learning how to wax skis in his basement. Yeah. That was a, like really cool. Yeah. L- looking back, and what's what's been fun for me is uh, our brand. I mean, a the '90s are hot right now. Uh, well, late '90s, early 2000s, but. Yeah. Uh, you know the the brand feels to us uh, to be very like we're we're tying in a lot of those memories together um, in high school. So this youthful feel, uh, this creating stuff without really knowing what the end, um, you know, na- naive creating yeah. uh, creativity, so to speak. And then you know then we figure out what the uh, result of that create creation is. But kind of this, you know, young. I don't know. I'm I'm still. I think we're still having t- uh, problems figuring out how to communicate that. But our, our brand and our, our company very much so feels that way. So. Yeah, well, we so always had good. a. It was. I mean, teenagers are like feeling a lot. They're experiencing and learning about the world a lot. They're learning their independence, right? Which is exactly what we were doing. Yeah. Like I remember taking the ski bus from Foothill Shopping Center all the way to Solitude, and was like so happy that like I was going out on my own without my parents. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was like so cool, right? So like, there's this sense of optimism and independence. And as a creative, you're just like, wait a minute. If I want to carry skis on my LL Bean school backpack. I can do that. And I can also wire my Walkman speakers into it. And so we can listen to <laughs> music on the lift. Yeah. And we used to listen to this band called The Obvious, which was a Salt Lake band. And we would like name features in Solitude after their <laughs> songs. And like we just were so excited about skiing and the outdoors in general. We went, one of my formative memories of outdoor experiences was with Mike. And some other friends of ours on a backpacking trip through some canyons in southern Utah, wow. uh, namely Box Death Hollow Wilderness. Yeah, and it was just like, wait a minute. I think that was the time when I was like, I really love being outside, and I love creating stuff, and this is where I want to be. Yeah, and I don't think I realized how important that was to me until like I was in college. But like, yeah, those were the years. Those were formative years for what ended up being the course of my life. Wow. Yeah. And what's fun is, uh, at least from my perspective, there was a lot of product <laughs> uh, around in that same time, right? Like us trying to either, A, figure out how to use product uh, or modify it to how we approached uh, approached the world and how we wanted to do things. So it's kind of fun to, like, tap back into that now. Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. So you guys go to high school together, right? Did you do all four years of high school together then? or Just one year, actually. Gotcha. Yeah. So you guys kind of – what, what – 
created that separation? Did you guys just go to different high schools then? Yeah, I went to a different high school. Okay, cool. Were you, were you guys still friends because you lived so close to each other? Yeah. Yeah, we, we lived close to each other. Uh, the schools um, were, what, one was on just about 9th East and the other one was on 13th East. So, I mean, same neighborhood, same area. We still, you know, saw each other. I feel like I drove home and could see, like, oh, yeah, there's CJ's uh, uh, FJ in the parking lot, right? Like, he's still at school. I mean, we just, we were, th- yeah, geographically, but uh, what year proximity. What you have? Uh, this is 69. I still have it. You do? Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness! It still has stickers that I put on it from like back, back and during those times. That's incredible. Yeah, such a great vehicle. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, so I guess growing up together, or I guess separately until you were almost in high school, did you guys feel like you were going to be entrepreneur at all? No. Entrepreneurship. Did that feel like <laughs> a, a direction? It feels like you were just kind of dirtbag out, out, out outside, guys. <laughs> I spent as much time as I could climbing and skiing in yeah. college. I went through years of not knowing what I wanted to do. I dabbled in history. I dabbled in architecture, urban planning. Um, painting and drawing was kind of where I landed and then discovered uh, industrial design, which is the design of products, physical products. Yeah. And that changed my life in a way because then I was like, wait a minute, I really love working with my hands. I love the drawing part, but I also love the sculpture part. Yeah, and so and then there was this analytical part <laughs> that was really fun, and then uh, there's this like Mr. Rogers Crayon Factory video part of it where you have to deal with like the manufacturing, which was also really cool. Yeah, and then like a few years into industrial design, I w- wanted to quit because it was so boring, like designing toasters and <laughs> like I remember one assignment was to design a blender in SolidWorks, which is a 3D <laughs> modeling program, and it was just hell on earth. Yeah. Uh, and then I ended up kind of through, a re- I sent an email to Andrew McLean because I had heard that he worked at Black Diamond, who's a, he's a local ski hero. And he forwarded my email to someone at Black Diamond named Dave Narajowski, and they invited me up, and I just said, I want to see what it's like to be an industrial designer, like day-to-day life. I'm not, I wasn't applying for an internship. I just wanted to know if being a designer was something fun to do because school was so boring. Yeah. Were you going to college at this time then? Yeah, I was in school. I was probably, I was a junior. Cool. I was just about to start my junior year or I was ending my sophomore year, actually. And Where'd you go? I was at Brigham Young University. Okay. They had a really kick-ass design program back then. Nice. Um, and they offered me an internship on the spot at BD, and I spent a year designing products there, and some of those products are still on retail shelves. Wow. <laughs> so it was awesome because as a junior, I had stuff in my portfolio that was in the marketplace Yeah, from a reputable brand. One of them got a design award in a, a now defunct magazine called ID Magazine. And so... That really set my career into the outdoor industry, which I was so happy with. I remember as an intern at Black Diamond thinking, wow, I'm at my dream job already. And where does it go from here? (laughs) I've peaked. (laughs) Yeah, like this is where I wanted to be and I'm only 24. And so, yeah, it was, I got really, I was really fortunate and lucky and, um, Learned a ton there because Black Diamond had business and everything, marketing, sales, and design, and manufacturing all under the same roof. And so if I wanted to learn about a manufacturing process, I just walked downstairs. 
or into the next room even. Yeah. So at Black Dad, are you allowed to tell us which products you designed? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was this, this was the, almost twenty years ago. Yeah. Right? Uh, back then, I the, one of my big projects I worked on was the O one Telemark binding, which was the one of the one of the first uh, walkable Telemark bindings. C three Camelots, which they don't make anymore. I worked on headlamps. I worked on trekking poles. I worked on the reactor first reactor ice tool. Um, the deploy and transfer avalanche shovels uh, were largely a collaboration between me and Ben Walker. Uh, and then a bunch of other random products. That's so cool. Yeah. So you just, and did they end up giving you a job there? Or were you just. There was an internship there. that was like a year. And then um, okay. when I was finished with school or during my lat, my senior year, I came back to work on the ski boot project as just kind of a low paid designer one. And, uh, you know, I was still in school. Yeah. Um, and so. Yeah, I learned about, and I was already had been designing footwear uh, for a, another design firm in California that cool. was one the manufacturing group for Keen. So I was working on a lot of footwear, and some of that wow. footwear is still in the marketplace, at least in Japan. Yeah, <laughs> um, and so I was already working on footwear, and so the ski boot project was great because it was this combination of like footwear and hard goods, and um, yeah, and honestly, I was still just learning a lot. I mean, there were some great designers working there, like. Paul Terry, Jake, uh, Jake Hall, um, Jeremy Saxton, you know, uh, Frank, Frankie was there at the time. It was just like amazing group of people, Bill Belcourt, uh, Dave Mellon, like these kind of like, you know, back then Peter Metcalf was still there. Um, Chris Grover, like all these like heroes. Yeah. <laughs> I remember working next to like Johnny Woodward who like helped design some of the first carabiners. Like, wow. So it was kind of crazy to walk into Black Diamond back then and be with like these like founders of the industry. And like my generation was lucky because we kind of learned from the people who founded the companies. Yeah. And even at Gregory, when I transitioned to Gregory 2007 or no, eight, I was learning how to design backpacks from Wayne Gregory. Yeah. He founded Gregory in the 70s. So these were like yeah. formative people of who created literally created the outdoor industry and they had this like Absolutely. the difference between them and entrepreneurs now is that they did it with no industry. It wasn't like the outdoor industry was like measured in millions back then. Yeah, they didn't have massive trade shows to go to no. and stuff. It was just like whatever they wanted. Yeah, yeah, it was just like it was so entrepreneurial and there was so much risk and it was it was so akin to cl what climbing felt like. Yeah. Like you go out there, you take a lot of risk. When you are in doubt, you keep climbing higher. Yeah. And you have your your best buddy down there, someone who you literally trust your life with, belaying you. And so, and I missed that when I left Gregory. I missed this like, um, don't worry, we got your back. We're gonna argue about which way to go. Yeah. We're going to argue about how to get up the, the mountain, yeah. you know, and, you know, when to stop and when to keep going. And when there's weather coming, you have to decide what to do. And yeah. we've all been in situations like that. I was stuck on the Midi once and in Chamonix. We had, we had three, I had three climbing partners. Storm was coming and it was like descend on pitch three or climb the, the next 10 pitches. Yeah. And we decided to climb the next 10 pitches. 
against my will, kind of. <laughs> we had a blast, but we ended up getting stuck in a blizzard at 13,000 feet in summer clothing. And, uh, but it was like at the top, you know, it was just your best buds in you keeping warm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're, you're safe and you risk everything. And it was super fun, great memories, even though we ended up sleeping in the woman's bathroom that night. <laughs> At thirteen thousand feet, you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, yeah, but like that—that that, the old outdoor industry has this attitude of like get it done. Yeah, and at the end of the day, you're gonna argue. You might argue, but at the end of the day, you can go get beers and everything's like we're we're still best buds. Yeah, and now I feel like the outdoor industry is a little bit more like, okay, if we're not holding hands all the time, yeah, <laughs> then something's wrong. Yeah. And so I was—I felt like my early career, I was really fortunate to like learn from like these industry giants who are now retiring or retired. Yeah. So I apologize for dominating the discussion. Um, that was a good story. That was fantastic. Yeah. I actually, I've, I, this is the first time, this is an outdoor entrepreneur podcast, the first time somebody has likened a sport an out, or an outdoor activity to entrepreneurship. And yeah. I thought that was, that's a really well, good it tries, example. It, it tries, yeah. I don't mean to keep talking, Mike, I'm sorry, but it literally tries yeah. every decision we I, I make. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you learn backcountry skiing, you know, I've taken a lot of avalanche courses. I've taken them up from Exum and Zebilla Mori and Jackson. I take from Jake Hudson here and a bunch of others, Don Sharaf. And when you go out there and you're out there like making decisions about your life, yeah. For no fucking reason. <laughs> yeah. It's not like you're saving someone's life by climbing a mountain or skiing. There's nothing heroic about the sports we do. Reinhold Messner, I love him because he's like, we're conquerors of the useless. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you're out there for fun. You're with your buddies. And you, when your life is on the line, you have to make very data-driven driven results, just, which is what I love about modern-day avalanche forecasting is it's very data-driven. Yeah. And some great people have created some great models to do that with. But that is such a great lesson for entrepreneurship and measuring risk that you can't. I don't. I think when you do those sports, you really can't avoid the analogy. Yeah, uh, I think all all outdoor sports and my my experience with it, and particularly particularly the avalanche one, and I try and uh, explain that to people who have ne like who don't go backcountry ski and don't know how to like assess all that kind of risk, yeah. and it never goes over well. It's they madness. never they never yeah. understand. <laughs> yeah, uh, but. Yeah, I mean that was my my background growing up. You know, ski racing. I coached ski racing for a number of years. I've seen, you know, a lot of these kids I used to you know coach have all you know grown up and turned into amazing humans. Um, and and I think I think sports in general can draw uh, and drive a lot of wisdom uh, for how anybody should approach life outside of sports. Um, yeah. So I think it's something constant in both of us, um, and hopefully the brand. Yeah. Um, so, Mike, after after high school, assuming you graduated high school, some people don't. I, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. Um, what, told what, you did, did better yeah. than I did, I'm sure. <laughs> what did you do for education? What what was your what was your route? Uh, so I stayed here in uh, in Utah. Um, I uh, actually, yeah, uh, trying to think. High school. Um, yeah, studied a bunch. Did okay. Uh, ski racing was kind of what was driving my my passion. Yeah. Uh, during those years, on on top of uh, of education. Um, I made the, yeah, I keep looking back on life and you feel like you have these choices, right? And you're always like, oh, I wonder what would have happened if, yeah. uh, so I broke my leg, uh, senior year of high school, uh, skiing, 
uh, that kind of grounded me for skiing that year. I was trying to get some ski racing scholarships, academic scholarships. I wanted to race in college, basically. That was that was the goal. But due to uh, breaking my leg and not having uh, any uh, results that year, uh, skiing was kind of like on hold. Um, I had an opportunity to go to Western State uh, um Western State College of Colorado in Gunnison. Oh, if you didn't Colorado, say Colorado, I was right? like, that's a yep. made-up college. That yep. doesn't exist. No. <laughs> Western State College? Western sure, Mike. State <laughs> College, yeah. You know, one of those Western states. Yeah. Um, anyway, and I've seen a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of successful uh, outdoor companies that have that have come out of that college in that, in that area. So, I was, you know, it's one yeah. of my, like, okay, that was a, clearly a fork in the road that I took. I uh, decided to stay here, uh, go to the University of Utah, ski race for another couple of years on Snowbirds um, ski team, didn't do awesome. I'm not going to say I'm an awesome uh, ski racer. Ski racer, dude. He's uh, one of the most beautiful skiers <laughs> I've ever seen. I don't know. So. We'll don't go know. skiing this year, and I'll be the judge. <laughs> Absolutely, <of that>. please <laughs> do. Yeah. Please do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so stayed at the at the University of Utah. Um, and in order to pay for ski racing, I ended up working for my dad's uh, for my family's manufacturing firm. Uh, I was ended. Up, I was actually fourth generation uh, there, but yeah, worked there, uh, mainly as a way to, uh, you know, pay for ski racing. Ski racing was, uh, expensive and, you know, the minute I hit sure. 18, dad's like, all right, you can keep doing this, but you're paying for it. Yeah. Um, so you anyway, said fourth generation, fourth when generation, did that manufacturing yeah. business start? We, if they officially incorporated as, uh, May, um, uh, Lundin and May foundry, uh, in 1912, I think, uh, <laughs> That's a while ago. <laughs> it was. A, it's a while ago. Um, so yeah, leased out a. Uh, they actually leased out a building um, that belonged to the Smith brothers. Uh, so a little little piece of Utah history. Uh, you know, they were, were making things for the railroad back then. Yeah. Um, yeah, just a lot of Utah infrastructure uh, parts. Very um, cool. So yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah. kept kept working for them. Um, and so when I graduated college, interestingly enough, Black Diamond. I also had another fork in the road there. I had an opportunity to to work there as a quality. I think it was quality um, operator, not even engineer or anything, but quality operator two or something. And what did you study in college? Uh, environmental studies and business. Um, Very cool. But I'd gotten enough engineering and manufacturing experience, uh, you know, d- d- due to the foundry uh, and machine shop. Um, yeah. That they were all those skills were. Uh, very translatable. Did you say you ended up going to the University of Utah? Or? Yep. Okay. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Um, where was I going with that? Oh, so anyways, yeah. I, had, I had another fork in the road, right? Of uh, work at Black Diamond and have the opportunity to go, um, you know, do Dawn patrols and be radical and get paid peanuts or continue making the salary I was making at the time with the family manufacturing business and see, you know, see what I could make for myself. Uh, so I, I chose that decision. Yeah. <laughs> Stuck with it uh, for, yeah, 20 years before I, I ended up shutting that business down. Uh, in 2019, after the uh, the passing of uh, of my dad and stepmom, I um, was kind of left with like, okay, you've got another fork here, right? Do you uh, you know leverage your, your uh, house and your sister's, you know, whatever inheritance we had, uh, you know, figured out there at that point? But you know, do you collectively as a as a sibling group uh, leverage this for the success of this manufacturing business, or you know, do we wind it down and uh, go out on your own and and try something else? And ultimately, that's that's what I'm doing, trying trying my own thing here, doing my own thing here, so. Very cool. Um, yeah, that jumped forward qu- quite a bit. Um, back back to UCJ. After uh, you said you were working for for Gregory, um, I know that you mentioned leaving Gregory. What what drove that decision to end up like? Because you worked for Black Diamond, mm-hmm. massive, awesome business. You worked for Gregory. Nobody in the outdoor industry doesn't know who. Like that's 
one of the most renowned like bag companies in the, in the in the world. Mm-hmm. What drove you to leave Gregory, and what was the next step after that? So oh, we can man. catch up with with Mike's. Yeah, timeline. sorry. This is like, this yeah. is like college. No, you're good. This is like college lecture series. Yeah. <laughs> essentially, I had a. I was essentially I just was bored. Gotcha. I think thing is is that like. John Sears is from Gregory. He's probably one of the few people in the industry I would go work for again, and um, like pretty much him and Bill Belcourt. <laughs> Yeah. You know, uh, they're like, just because they're such great people and they're such great people to work for. Yeah. And Gregory was like a family. It was like, we were so close. You know, we all, you know, we played together. We ate together. We traveled together. We argued a lot together. Yeah. And as is the foundation of every business, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, one of my best. Got to argue a little. Yeah. I mean, yep. Mark Thibodeau, one of my good buddies and one of my, I, I call him one of my favorite mentors. Like, I learned so much from that guy. I remember being <laughs> in the Philippines with him, sitting next to him. And just like, we were giving each other the silent treatment because we were arguing so bad about like, <laughs> Like how fabric folded on one of my the features on like the Alpinisto when, we were, <laughs> when I was designing that, and then like that night it was just like nothing had happened. We were just good buddies because we knew where the line was. We knew what we were doing right. Yeah. So when, when you have conflict about in business or about especially something as dumb as product, you got to know with the context of what you're doing. It's like okay, we are just dis- we're arguing about how something works because we both want it to work the best yeah and so if you understand that why then the arguments aren't personal they're they're actually very productive that was the relationship we had at gregory and so that kind of family leaving that was really difficult yeah but i had just finished designing the pro series their luggage the ski packs like the targi the nolly pro is still selling <laughs> i'm surprised it's still on there but you know i designed all this cool stuff and all of a sudden it was like okay cj designed some basic stuff and i just was bored couldn't do it anymore and i just didn't want to design a backpack ever again i had gotcha. reached this point of like total ironic fuck bags <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh so i was like applying for business school i was like you know took the GMAT a couple times. Um, and then this weirdo and good buddy uh, contacted me on LinkedIn and was like, hey, you want to design for a, a new brand? I'm like, uh, maybe. Uh, and that's when I met this guy named Davis Smith. And he was co-founding, he was founding this new outdoor company that was 100% directed consumer and was like all about lifting people out of poverty and i was like huh i don't know yeah it sounds cool but like yeah. these you like it when people are in poverty no, no. I'm, just I'm kidding i'm kidding what I'm was kidding. difficult what was difficult <laughs> the social mission was was enticing because yeah, that was something that i cared about previously yeah but what was not enticing was like competing with people in the industry like because at the time i was like okay we'll do tents apparel sleeping bags and i was like i don't want to do backpacks but um, of course, we ended up doing backpacks because you kind of have to. Yeah. But like, uh, what was not enticing was the looking at the industry from an insider perspective and going, "Wow, the incumbents are huge and they're kicking ass." Yeah. Why would we want to like spend all the effort to compete with them? And I was z- very skeptical about that. Yeah. Um, 
But, you know, through months of conversation and meeting the team, I was like, you know what? We assembled this great team of um, complementary skill sets, and everyone was, like, filling what they said they would do. Like, oh, I'm going to go investigate this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And we'd come back three months later, and everyone had done their things, you know, in accounting or finance or design. And then we were able to found this new company, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll join. And then we, I, so, um, that's why I left Gregory and that's what I did after wow. just started another brand. Yeah. That's cool. So with Cotopaxi, that's obviously a pretty huge brand. Um, you were on the founding team. What, um, I guess the, the growth of that over a couple of years and then you ended up leaving what drove that decision? Yeah, I was a co-founder. So it was like me and Davis and Stefan, we were like these co-founders and then we had like Cherie and Sam Ricks, who was just an awesome creative director, and then a good buddy named Jordan and his finance. We were pretty close. Um, but brands as a startups are different than brands that are in growth stage. Yeah. And every business goes through this phase of like just get shit done and then move on to growth stage. And when a business changes like that, so does your roles, responsibility, culture changes, everything changes. But also as a startup, when you have when you have that much money raised or you have a lot of pressure, you end up just working your ass off and you, you're exhausted. Yeah. And when a company is trying to be super lean, you have this conflict of like, well, we need to hire someone because this person's doing way too much and they're becoming less effective and they're miserable. And, but we also want to be profitable soon. <laughs> and every person you hired hires prolongs profitability. Yeah. And so, and the amount of money and effort it takes to get visibility nowadays is it takes so much money that eventually I just kept taking on a lot of responsibility and I kept trying to like hire people, but we kept as a team deciding not to. And in the end, I wish we would have hired someone because I would have been probably less stressed out. Yeah. But eventually it was just like, this isn't right for me anymore. I don't want to be working this much, traveling this much. <clears throat> and so um, we, yeah, I mean, I decided to leave. And then a few months later, another founding member left. And then a year later, another founding member left. And now Davis has left the founder. Yeah. And it was never anything unexpected when someone left, you know, Davis from the beginning would say things like, I'm not always going to be the CEO. Yeah. Like eventually I'm, it's going to, I'm going to be the wrong person. I remember him telling me, I'm going to be the wrong person for the next stage. And that humility was admirable to be able to say, look, <laughs> and I've already told Mike, like with this company that we're doing, like the role that I'm playing right now isn't yeah. going to last forever. In fact, I hope it doesn't. Because eventually, like, I'm the right person for the job now. Yeah. But eventually, I'm going to be the wrong person to lead the company. Yeah. And that is okay because I know my role now and I've got to kick ass at it. But in, in you know, two, five years, like, I'm going to be the very, I'm going to be, like, the opposite <laughs> of yeah. what the company needs. And hope, you know. And so I knew that, it, that at Cotopaxi, I was like, you know what? This thing is way bigger than I am. <laughs> and, like... I cannot have the same role that I want. 
Yeah. Because it's too big now. And, you know, it, same, it was the same thing at Gregory. It was like at Gregory, it was the same thing. It was just like, I had reached the point where you're just like, it's time for me to move on. I love everybody here. Yeah. But it's time to leave. And the thing is, is the Cotopaxi team, like, we also had a great team there. I mean, we were close friends. We would hang out together. In fact, I still hang out with all my buddies from Cotopaxi. And the, even the new employees there, like the new design director, the development director, like we still hang out. And when we're in Asia together, we definitely hang out. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was just, I think, I think with entrepreneurship, there's always going to be a time where you're not the right guy anymore. And that's okay and expected. Yeah. So your part, role changes. Yeah. It's part of the journey. I think that's really good. Um, so you've left Cotopaxi. At, the, at this point, at this point, you you're not with your manufacturing business anymore. What brought you guys back together? I'm assuming you guys probably t- chatted every once in a while, just as friends. But what brought you guys together? And you were like, even though you hate designing bags, let's design a bag. And well, keep in mind, do I don't company. hate designing bags. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> that time yeah. in my career, I hated it. There was a time that you didn't like. But bags. actually, anti bags to pro bags. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we need to be anti-bags in uh, the next four years. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll outgrow bags, but yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to remember. I mean, realistically, I remember, yeah, kind of going through everything I was going through at the time. Um, what year was this? Uh, 2018-ish, I think. I was I was faced with, okay, you know, my parents just passed away. I'm working on shutting this thing down, but I want to, you know, get as much profit as I can out of it, which ended up taking a couple, you know, another year and a half of operation. Um, and then just winding the property down. We had, you know, the property was there for, you know, well, it was actually a foundry before my great grandfather took over. So, I mean, if you can That's imagine right. the potential life. So it was the original, like, it was the original property still? Yep. That, oh, yep. Wow. Part of the original building is still there. In fact, I think there's still, I think there's still a few walls, um, there now. But the photo I saw of the Toyota museum, it looked like exactly the same from the last time I was there. So that was the new foundry. That that building oh. was built in the late sixties, I think. There's a bu- oh. the built there's an old built we called it the old foundry. It's a building in the middle that's uh, literally been there that uh, well into the eighteen hundreds. Gotcha. Um crazy old bricks and stuff. Um where is it going? Anyway, so it took me a couple of years to kind of unwind from this, you yeah. know, over hundred year uh, you know, b- uh, business and family matters and estate and, you know, honestly, uh, yeah, to be, uh, uh, open, I guess here, you know, uh, honestly grief, you know, there was a lot, a lot of emotional trauma I was going through at the time. And, um, I dare to suspect you were maybe going through some emotional, uh, trauma, uh, too, at the same, same point, maybe just even from leaving Cotopaxi and, you know, feelings that associated at, there. At that time I was at Blue Ice and all the trauma was related. It was like, I was back in the same place as there I was before, go. like okay. where I was, I was oh, that's traveling. Right. That's every, right. I was traveling every internationally for every month. Like, and there was one point where I was gone traveling for nine months. That's right, because you left in 2017, and I was still dealing with some of the things. Yeah, that and then I was, you and I went right. to Japan. We were skiing in to- in Hokkaido. Yep. In February or January of 2017. Was that just like a boys' trip? <laughs> you were just like, I yeah, let's go skiing. We've in already Japan. dropped the f bomb, so that was my fuck it trip. Like, okay, I've, cool. I've, I've wanted to go do this forever. Like, why the hell not? Right? Yeah. Like, let's go do this. Um, yeah, we, my brother and I and Mike try to go every year. Gotcha. Since. That's Since. Awesome. Well, I, my my brother and I started this a year or two before. Yeah. yeah. If you need an extra person to come, just let me know next time. <laughs> no, but <laughs> I was like back in like, that was, so that 2018, I was back into this like 
working for another company that was effectively operating like a startup, another climbing company. And again, it was like this situation of like, um, we need sales samples. And that's like, they make samples to sell in the retail yeah. and there's yeah. like this deadline. And so they're like, and normally you take like 18 or 12 months maybe to get to that point. Sure. And they're like, hey, in three months, we need these bags. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, okay, I'll do it again. Yeah. You, you were in the cog again and you yeah. were not, you were being driven. Yeah. Like, and I didn't, not driving. Exactly. And you know, it was like a remote work position where I was like, I had to be in Utah, France, and Asia at the same time. Gotcha. And so it was just very stressful. Yeah. And um, I was like, Mike. Let's start a business. That's the way I. That's the way I. Yeah, remember. no, and I remember the way you kind of pitched it too was, you know, uh, from your perspective, you had seen a lot of promotional, uh, Cotopaxi promotional product out there. And Gregory. Uh, and Gregory. So I was like, hey, let's let's do an outside an, out, an outdoor brand yeah. devoted to the promotional product industry. Promotional product is in like like because you see Cotopaxi bags all the time with like other companies logos on them. And stuff. OGO like that does kind of it. Stuff. Mountain exactly. Hardware, of course, yeah. Even Patagonia still does it. Yeah. So so we thought it was innovative and new to say, hey, rather than be a brand that does this on the side or as an afterthought, we'll just we'll just do that. Do it exclusively. Uh, create like high quality products that were promotional products. Yeah. Turns out, uh, well, I mean, granted, we had some economic, uh, you know, headwinds during that time too. I think our first show we went to to go, you know, exhibit our, you know, who we were, uh, was January of 2020. Oh, uh, great so, time. Yeah, perfect time. Yeah. <laughs> and at the time, we had one client who was like, dude, we want 3,000 units. Remember that? Oh, yeah. There was yeah. this little virus then, that was going around. Everything dropped. Died. Um, things up. <laughs> died immediately. Yeah. But, so, I mean, realistically, it turns out you need a brand in that space, too. Um, mm -hmm. So we farted around with that brand for... Yeah, what, two years, two and a half years, um, trying to get that thing going. And I'd see pitch decks. We'd be on pitch decks. You know, our quality was there, but we'd be on pitch decks with OGO, uh, you know, Face. North Face, Cotopaxi, and our brand was called Pivot. Uh, you know, so we all those brands and then Pivot. And I remember even pitching to my wife's company, who, you know, she works for a very large uh, uh, fintech company here. And I saw the pitch deck. She was She's in the marketing department, right? She had some sway as far as what we picked. And I'm like, oh, God, yeah, like we don't. No, nobody knows who we are. Nobody's yeah. going to pick that to go hand out to your, you know, your high value uh, clients, right? Like it would yeah. be a mistake. Um, so yeah, I think we, we had the perfect uh, perfect storm with a awesome Japanese distributor that you know had followed CJ, knew who you were, and wanted to you know do something creative and take uh, take some risk with uh, with creating this thing, as well as us realizing that you know, hey, we need a we need a brand. We need to figure out who we are and what we want to do in this world. That's cool. Anyway. I, again, jumping ahead. Yeah. So then what, what I guess, made you land on Pingora is going to be the name. First of all, <laughs> what is Pingora? Who came up with it? What what was the process to do that? Are you going to edit this down to, like, a certain? <laughs> no. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no just, cuts. I'm long-winded, and my car is like, see, dude, too long-winded. But I'm essentially, I, before we end up Pingora, like, Pingora, we got this, like he said, there's this distributor in Japan who yeah. is like 50 years old. You know, they had 4,000 doors. They were, they loved the bags and they wanted us in Japan. Yeah. And I was, and you like, had designed these bags specifically for pivot. For yeah. The, so they were kind of designed to go. They were, they were really high quality kind of built to last 
pure hiking packs. Well, and, and what they had seen, we CJ had developed a chassis that was the idea was, uh, hey, we're going to sell these two distributors who maybe want to do their own house brand. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So we did develop, you develop these chassis with, you know, like, oh, you can pick this harness style or you can put this clip here or that clip there. Uh-huh. Like this yeah. is, this is really kind of, you know, a, a chassis for you to direct how you want to order from us. Because I had distributors in like central Europe who were asking for like containers of product before COVID, like right before all of this happened, like right before COVID happened, like there was one or two distributors who were like, dude, you know, the technical brands aren't going to give me like what I want. I'm going to sell them because they're doing great. But like most of my customers need this really basic hiking pack. Yeah. And so I was like, great. We are already customizing packs for other clients. Doing it for a distributor in Central Europe who's got massive distribution network is easy. I mean, yeah, we'll just make like white label product and have their logo on it, their own brand, whatever they want. We'll make you a container of chalk bags. Yeah, and Let's so when it. this distributor from Japan would talk to us, that's what we kind of expected. And yeah. then, like, we are talking to them more, and, like, a month later, we're talking to them, and they're like, no, 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 no. We want a brand. Oh. Your brand. <laughs> gotcha. And also, your name is already trademarked in Japan. Pivot? Pivot, believe it or not. And, yeah, right? And, and so we were like, oh, oh. Okay, yes, but we'll, we got to change the name. Sure. So that's what prompted us to start an entirely new business and brand. Because if you're going to like create a brand, you can't just create it for Japan. Yeah. And you, the, the amount of effort it takes to create a, a brand quote unquote. Yeah. At that point, you just do it globally. Like just do it. So, because it requires the same amount of effort. So Mike and I always had, we had talked about doing our own brand for a long time. But this was the catalyst that was like, okay, let's just do it. Let's just go for it. Yeah. That's how I remember it. Yeah. It's exactly so where right. did well, the that, name Pingora come from? The, yeah, where the name. The name came from us, uh, you know, immediately. And I'm still new to all this marketing and branding and everything, right? Like I, sure. I know how to build stuff and, and operate a, a company financially uh, well, especially a manufacturing company. Um, I... I, I'm just I'm still drinking from the fire hose of marketing and branding and everything else. I'm like, okay, I think I think I know we need to like figure out what drives us, right? Like, what's what's <laughs> our why, uh, you know, and uh, whatever. Just you know, trying to uh, develop the conversation with all these you know things I hear, and I understand a lot more of it now. But at the time, you know, I was like, so okay, what's what's driving us? Why do we want to do this? Um, and so okay, now we figured out some some of that stuff. We still needed a lot of it uh, to be teased out a little bit more. But so okay, the name. What are we going to name this? Yeah. Um, and that I mean, we were all over the place. We had just some some crazy names. Um, I'm sure there's some written lists somewhere that, that oh, have yeah. every single oh, name there's on the planet. Printed on tests. Yeah, like, yeah. screen printed tests. And these days, I mean, I you know, I mean, there's all sorts of different naming strategies too, right? Like, right. do we go with mm-hmm. some word that doesn't even mean anything, but you know, sticks in the mind or, you know, do, do we, we misspell th- a word? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it was yeah. just, that was a weird process, but, um, sure. but you know, CJ had actually developed a brand with his, with his wife, um, you know, a decade or so er- earlier. Ex-wife. Ex-wife. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. Just ex-wife. Kidding. Wife at the time, uh, named Pingora. And so Pingora is actually a peak. Uh, it's the name of a peak in the Wind River Range yep. in, in central Wyoming. Um, I did look that up because okay. I was like, nice. I remember when I first met you guys, I was like, what the freak is well, that? It's one, of the most inspiring pla- it's one of the most inspiring places I've ever been. It's, it's like so you, cool. You take, it's, it's, a, it's strenuous to get to and it's beautiful. The climbing is surreal. There's so much good climbing there. 
and even uh, skiing back there is incredible. And I had always loved it. And so, but the cool thing about Pingora is that it's so badass. Yeah. But it's also accessible. You got to be dedicated to get to it. Yeah. It's kind of a mysterious name because you don't know what it means. And the place is mysterious and it's remote. There's no cell reception. There's nothing. It's just backcountry. And so it's accessible, mysterious, and um, fun. And that was like all of the words we liked to describe our brand. Yeah. Yeah. The, the way, yeah, the way we understand the peak actually fit, fit a lot of our branding um, at the time. So it's like, okay, this like, and CJ was reluctant at first. I mean, I, I, I kept pulling it out of the trash bin. Like, Hey, let's think about this. Well, I, did, hey, it was, I was reluctant this. because it was another brand <laughs> af- named after a fucking peak. <laughs> yeah. It was like yeah, we didn't want another that. outdoor Patagonia, brand. Code of and, you know, and it was yeah. like, even though in the, the, the design of the logo didn't come from the peak, but then it ended up looking like the peak. And it was like, Damn it, we're so stereotypical. <laughs> you yeah. know? So and, and we You're may... like a mountain biker driving a Tacoma. But the story <laughs> right? of the, but even the story of the logo design, the word mark and the peak were so fun and meaningful to us. Yeah. And we knew we wanted to create an authentic, meaningful brand. And Pink Ore kind of captured a lot of what I feel like we were about. So Yeah. Definitely. And the um, name itself is like no one really knows what it means. Like, there's stories of climbers saying that Shoshone guides and like told them that's what the peak was. But like, um, you know, in our research and discussions with the Shoshone Nation, like, no one knows where that word came from, really. Yeah, it's not in anyone's dictionary. It's just, yeah, it's it's a good name. So we feel like name. it's a, yeah. I mean, whatever it was, it's a beautiful name. It is. And I love that it crosses, um, like, it doesn't necessarily sound outdoor, but does at the yeah. same time. So, Did you have to, did you get that name in the divorce then, or was it just like? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, totally. Is, it, is, is this going to spur a lawsuit? Yeah, no. <laughs> no, it's not. Cause... If you need me to cut this part out, I totally <laughs> <can>. <laughs> No, no. Uh, yeah, but so, yeah, we trade, we just, we just trademarked the name, um, so yeah, I mean, I'm, uh, the legal history is boring, but like, yeah. yeah, we're really happy with it. At least I am. Yep. So that's awesome. So I know that you're only now a couple years into the business, right? Maybe a year and a half. Well, I guess, I, like try like one. Business. Or it depends on how you measure, but like yeah. legally, like a few months. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Legally, I think yeah. we incorporated like two months ago. We. P- pivot was incorporated, right? You guys like went to we're, trade we're, shows we're rolling everything over. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, we all did it under the old yeah, of course. Pivot. Yeah, so. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so, just one year into the business, I guess. What What are your roles within the business, CJ? I know you're a you're a you're a designer, Mike. I know you're more of a kind of operations guy. What are your roles in the business? How do you divide and conquer um, a, a a bad company? I wouldn't even say we're doing it successfully right now, but I guess this sure. is where cat herding comes Dude, in. We're a little entrepreneurs. Bit. We are definitely not doing it successfully. <laughs> neither, <laughs> us, neither, <laughs> us, neither me and Matt. We're, we're not successfully we're not, yeah. dividing responsibilities in a startup, uh, dude. Remember, yeah, yeah, yeah. startups are t- punk bands. They're not symphonies. Yeah, that's that's a good that's that's a good soundbite. We're gonna use that one. That's, <laughs> it's not for tra- me. Trademarked. I, I, I trademarked. From, no, I got <laughs> <laughs> Bill Belcourt used to tell us that at Blue Ice all nice. the time. I like it. Startups are punk bands, not symphonies. Yeah. yeah. That's dope. 
That's really. I'm gonna Sage I'm gonna put advice. that instead of live laugh love. I'm gonna put that on my wall in vinyl. Yeah, <laughs> but, but do it in cursive. Yeah, yeah, yep. in really obnoxious cursive cursive letters. That's cool. Yeah. So how do you how do you divide and conquer yeah. even if it's not successful? I, I think we're yeah. still realistically figuring that out. I mean, sure. yeah, but currently, um, yeah, I mean CJ's uh, design, uh, CJ's definitely like you know brand dude in fact i think yeah like that almost made it in the legal documents was that cj you know has a, a absolute authority over over the brand really <laughs> I, do, I wouldn't want that i mean uh, I, I would say that like the roles creative are kind design of, direction you, you say this all the time like when you have complementary skill sets that don't overlap you the the roles and responsibilities are really clear to divide they define themselves i'm yeah. you do not want me touching the books yeah. Because I don't know how to add and subtract, and I don't want him picking up a pencil to sketch, <laughs> and he doesn't want to do that. No. Yeah. So the problem isn't how to divide; it's how to get outside of what you're normally going to fall into doing and avoid doing other things. So Mike and I have to constantly remind ourselves of like, oh, someone's got to go get these bags photographed. Someone's got to call up the photographer and get bags photographed. Someone's got to work on the pitch deck, because there's what you have or you have. Two people with great skill sets, with which are like Mike and I have a well-rounded skill set. Everything from logistics to um, you know, Mike has actually dealt with leading employees, which I avoid. Yeah, you know. But aside from our hard skills that we learned in college, right? And right. then you know, I know some other things. And so, but the challenge is coming together and being like, oh, dude, I've done nothing but design for a week. And he's been done nothing but like finance and operations for a week. Yeah. What about what about marketing and creative? Yeah. yeah. What happened to all that? <laughs> yeah. Right. And so hopefully you can outsource that to people, but sure. still you still got to stay on top of it. So it's more. I feel like with a, I don't know, Mike, you might disagree, but I feel no, like it, with complementary skill sets, it's mostly about what are you forgetting to do. Yeah. We're, we're not oh, we're not worried about overlapping. Yeah, especially with just two founders. Like it's not like the Codapaxi situation where you're like finance person, design person, operations person, and then like there's this like Avengers that come together to build this. It's like a lot of times startups are two, maybe three people. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you can't with three people you can't cover yeah. every aspect of the business. That's just too much. Like no. it's just with with Wolf Optics, it's just two of us right now. Yeah. And stuff gets forgotten all the time. Well, and you know, we have we have a third. Yeah, so how do that's kind so of how do you guys do it? Not successfully. So <laughs> if it was successful, yeah. then I, sure. if you were successfully dividing responsibilities between two people, I'd be worried. It would be, <laughs> yeah, no, you. I would definitely be lying to you if I told you that we were doing it successfully. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's a lot of just, oh, that needs to get done. Okay, I'll do it. Okay, you'll do it. Yeah. Go do this. Go do this. Go do this. And it's kind of a lot of like, you end up being in charge of a lot of things, but then you also end up like delegating a lot to the other person. So you're like kind of telling what each other what to do, mm. and then also having to you know yeah. stay in your own. That's lane. tough, isn't it? Right, it, kind yeah. of a, like I really don't want to, but like this, I have to push this off onto you, and then also like not you mm -hmm. know being the like <laughs> the like that's a hard no. I am not doing that. I I don't know. It, it's an interesting dynamic. And you with do that two sometimes. You're like, no, I am not. Like today again. Yeah, I was like, Mike, I really want you to come to the Philippines to help me negotiate this. Yeah, I know you've already said no like twelve times. Yeah, but I'm going to ask you a baker's dozen to just like, and he's like, no, yep. Yep. still no, still I, no. Not I, I, I feel this in a very personal way because Matt will always be like, hey, because he he's just going to to this to ISPO alone this year. You're not going to come. I'm having oh, a kid man. in January. My wife's going to be so? super pregnant. Bring her. Just yeah, exactly. So I, I, she would come. She came last year and it was awesome. Um, but yeah, it was it was just like a. 
Uh, oh man, I can't. So he's always just like, "Hey, let's go to this. Let's go to this." And I'm like, "I signed up for that, so you can go to that." And then, yeah, it is. Business partnerships are complicated. And this is the first time we've talked about it on this podcast because it's the first time we've had nice. partners together. So yeah, um, it's uh, it, it's, it's cool. tough. Um, and honestly, yeah, I guess I'll be. I don't know. We're probably like way over time, but um, yeah, I, I think we're we're finding our stride a little bit more. I think like the event next week, right? Like early on, I think I was nervous to be like, what "Hey, event next week." Yeah, right. Uh, we have an event. No, you time? don't. This is the oh, point. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're effectively like <laughs> delegating. In the past, I would be like, "Hey, CJ, you know, here's this opportunity. Here's what we're doing. I need you to be there. I need you to do this and that. Yeah. You know, like we're we're, we're going to go present at this uh, the you know trade show or whatever. Now it's like doesn't even know what's going on next week because I got it. I got it handled right. Yeah, so like Cedar City got right? it covered. Cedar okay, City. I remember. Yep, yep. I remember. So um, yeah, so that's the point. I think is it, it's obviously it's a you know yeah. uh, it's always going to change and grow, but I think we're we're hitting our stride a little bit better uh, than we used to. And I think part of that uh, just goes into feeling, feeling confident. Yeah. Yeah. Having confidence in your business partner that they're going to kick ass. And like, I have total confidence in Mike. Right. And yeah. I hope he has confidence in me, <laughs> but like, I think another way to look at it is uh, with a partnership is like with, when it comes down to the things that aren't within your normal wheelhouse, the things you're comfortable doing is I, I know I've asked Mike this sometimes. I should probably ask it more. But when we're trying to decide who's going to do something, it's like, what do you want to do? Like, what, what excites you about the, all of these tasks? Because I feel mm. like you're going to have some mix. You might have some overlap. But, like, you know, <clears throat> there might be things that you are more motivated to do than others. And I always feel like between the two of us, the person who's more motivated is going to do a better job. Yeah, managing the like yeah. want, uh, you know, want hate, won't do. Or I don't know what the what those what the three words are there, but yeah, because I think the and, and we're all we all have to do things we don't want to do, but yeah. like like no one likes. But they got to get done. Like no one likes dealing with like none of us. Neither of us like dealing with like workbooks, hang tags, photography. <laughs> <laughs> All the hardcore design marketing, uh, like all that like stuff. Anything yeah. that's like graphic design related. But it's hard because we all have, uh, and I'm sure you deal with this too, right? We all have strong opinions on it too. Yeah. Exactly. So my wife's. I actually, as an entrepreneur, I like. First of all, I married the perfect person for me. She's incredible. Nice. But she's also she's a graphic designer. Oh, perfect. And so like, and she's a professional, like, freaking ridiculously awesome graphic designer. So I just get to like put things on her plate yeah. and be like, "Can you do this for me? Can you design this tag? Can yeah. you?" Yeah, it's it's awesome. That's, <laughs> it's I, that's an interesting jackpot. dynamic too with, yeah. with, with the entrepreneurs, right? I mean, my wife's an amazing uh, uh, marketing marketer, yeah. Uh, but specifically in copywriting, so a lot of times there's like we've we've had some we've gotten better at. It. I think at the beginning we almost had some fights about it, but we finally got to the point where it's like, hey, will you will you read this? You know, like this is what I'm trying to do. You know, this is what I think the website website copy should look like. Or here's what sure. I'm trying to direct somebody else to do, but I haven't. I'm trying to get these thoughts out of my head and. Uh, I've had a lot of things where she's just like, <laughs> "Oh, oh, honey, <laughs> like, that, no, that's that's not right." That's sometimes I'll wrong. I'll get some like graphic yeah. design stuff together for my <laughs> wife and give it to her. And she'll be like, she'll just look at it, and I'll be like, "It's nothing like it should be, is it?" She's like, "No, I'm like, okay, just do it, do <laughs> yeah. whatever is good for it." I don't. <laughs> that's not my. I, I can do some things, um, yeah. but so I it's can't, interesting how, yeah. how it sneaks home, right? It um, always sneaks. That's it. As an entrepreneur, you work is home. Like you have yeah. to, you have to be working all the time. That's what. I would say that's sometimes it's a downfall of entrepreneurship is that you can't not take it home. It's it's probably well, it's one of the last things you think about before you go to sleep. A third of my house is physically 
an office. So Same. Have, yeah, I have, I have my whole office space. I we keep all of our stock. My garage is lined it. with stock, like mm -hmm. of, of of sunglasses and yeah. our tents and our booth setups and like everything. So it's just like I can't not think about it. It's just it consumes my 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 being, which Got, is have fun a good for relationship. me. Yeah, yeah, it's really fun for me. But I I, I understand why some people would hate that. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I hate it sometimes. Having a strong so. relationship to, to figure out where to draw those lines, right? Because yeah. I think on one side where it's, you know, the the business is the entire house and the entire relationship. Yeah. Or on the other side, it's like, I don't know, man, he leaves. I don't know what the hell he does. It kinda, yeah. Or but she also comes back home and you're like, you need to have that that blend. And that's, totally. uh, it, it's, yeah, it's a stress in relationships for sure. It is. Sorry, I'm impulsive, but. But also as friends, like at one point I realized oh, totally. I was texting Mike about business because like Mike's a friend. So I'm like used to texting him whenever I want. Yeah. Like about skiing or whatever, but then one time I was texting him at like 10 p.m. and I was like, "Wait a minute, this is business, and Mike's probably like hanging out with his family." Yeah. So I'd have this like, "Wait a minute, I shouldn't text Mike about business after a certain time." And then yeah. we got Slack, and now I can text him on Slack whenever I fucking yeah. want. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not because he. This is a business. Tool. This is business. Yeah. So if you don't want it, then turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> but but in, uh, you know, but because I'm like in Asia where it's like 12 p.m. and I'm like texting Mike, and it's like 10 p.m. or whatever. I don't know what yeah. it is, but. Yeah, it's I don't know. I I draw on my relationship, uh, yeah, with, with with my wife quite a bit, and yeah. our relationship as as business partners. So yeah, um, we don't. Yeah. We probably need to hang out as friends more though. I guess that's what skiing in Japan is like, though. Uh, yeah, yeah. What are they just drawing, drawing, uh, like we used making to go those climbing. times? We used to go climbing, and then yep. I, I think we're. I think I, I. I think there's all sorts of stuff to talk about it uh, on. Uh, yeah, you know, we do. We go ski. doing business we, with friends. Yeah, we still ski. But, yeah. yeah, no, it's important. I've found that, in, especially in, in like, because me and Matt were like have always had a professional relationship, but we've yeah. be become friends kind of like mm. since working together. So it's just like okay, it would be cool to just be like. Let's just go skiing and not like think about business for a second. But it's, it's which is hard. what companies do. They're like that's why they have retreats and stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's true. As long as they don't do those weird exercises, then it's just fun. Yeah, you know, like people playing together. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So um, just to kind of finish up, because I know we're probably a little over time right now. What are the next steps for Pingora? I know that you've only been around for a year, but looking into the future without telling me anything that you can't tell me. Because I find that that's that's common. They're like, yeah. well, I can't tell you everything, but uh, yeah. world domination. No, quite quite the opposite. Cool. And I think and CJ and I are still constantly trying to figure this out. But yeah, we're yeah. we're uh, we're raising uh, funds right now. Uh, cool. we're, we're in our kind of our first fundraising round. We've we've been bootstrapping it um, up until this point, um, which has been good. But also, I think we'll you know clearly limit some growth. But yeah, um, yeah, really just kind of get you know get my feet wet in the in the retail you know outdoor consumer market <laughs> never done this before but yeah. uh, i think we're, we're teed up for some good good success we've got a you know a couple handfuls of uh of retail doors that are going to be carrying us next year um figuring out our e-com i think we've got a strong marketing team awesome. um strong e-com team it's just uh yeah kind of getting into that next uh next round of product and um i think the biggest thing that the biggest risk we have right now is entering the market with so much inventory right now and consumer spending in the outdoor space, you know, outdoor goods right now is just still so low it is. that we've got a lot of headwind. And so, you know, being able to operate this thing for the next couple of years, uh, right on that fine, fine line of like investing in marketing and investing in brand recognition and all the right things there, yeah. but not at such a rate that it, it'll, it'll sink us. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what the next couple of years are. Yeah. That's what I feel. I feel like at all times, there's always like these 
oh man, this is a bad time to be doing this. <laughs> but which but usually it's, means it's a good time. Yeah, exactly. There's there's never a great time to do no. something, but the it's there's always opportunity. Yep. And that's what that's we were talking about like the outdoor industry during COVID like was freaking awesome. But you know, I, right now I feel like people people are looking kind of like, oh no, we need to prepare for like financial downturn because we're, because everyone's speaking into into existence. And yeah. then the freaking government's shutting down, and everyone's on strike, and I'm like, nah, dude. Yeah, but this there's is like, opportunity right now. Come on, man. This it's is like, this I'm, is the I'm, time. I'm, I'm in my 40s. Like we've seen this so many goddamn times. Yeah, it's the same story. It's like yeah. if you if you wait for things to be good, yeah, then things are just gonna go bad anyways. Yeah, it's like buying a house. Like yeah. like it, there's there's never a perfect time to buy a house, but there are benefits to doing it at certain times. And so if you play your cards right. At different times in business, yeah, like, just like, different approaches at different times. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You can't just keep doing the exact same thing. But like but they, you, like starting yeah. a business at a time like this, like Mike and I are learning how to operate a business at a difficult time. Yeah, and that is, I love that. Yep. I think that's actually probably the best time to learn to start a business. I love it because then when it's easy, you and like, like the, you've already done it hard. But then sports, when it gets hard again, I feel a sports and uh, um, analogy coming up. <laughs> I don't know it. <laughs> I just I have another analogy in my mind, but I don't know if it's scientifically correct, so I haven't said it. Say it anyways. We'll say it's correct. Well, <laughs> <laughs> when a, a, a a car, if you're driving a car, a headwind slows you down. Yeah. But headwinds are what lift airplanes, right? Like you got to be flying That's into the wind. When Ooh. you land, you fly into the wind. When you take off, you take off into the wind. And so, like, that's what raises the airplane. That's kind of what I like to think. And I'm like this. I get super pessimistic sometimes but i'm also this eternal optimist with my product because like when you say what's the, what say what's the next next step well i'm like dude we're already in more retailers than i expected for spring yeah. 2024 and not only are they retailers but like they're like the stores we wanted to be in yeah like we kicked ass this spring with sales i was expecting one retail store to pick us up and we got into way more than that yeah and they were like the best retailers we could have chosen yeah and then We've got a distributor in Japan who we just launched in Tokyo a few weeks ago. and yeah, I remember you telling me about that. And it was awesome. incredible. We were well-received. Some of the most important buyers in Japan were working with us. We were People were writing orders at a show, which I've never actually witnessed before. That's crazy. And so... <laughs> Especially for a brand that's only been around for one year if it, or a couple months officially. Oh, totally. That didn't even exist. Less, less than a year, <laughs> especially technically, at in that Japan, point. Especially in Japan. Like, that's a huge compliment. Like... Absolutely. That is one of the, probably the most one of the things I'm most proud about in my career, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Sell through for sure, totally different story, but like um, we've got that going on going for us, and then we have, um, I believe, some really game changing product coming out in fall 2024 and spring 2025 that yeah. I am so psyched about. Like we're coming out with product like. I love the one reason why I could just like go back and get a job and instead took on this super risky project at Angora was because we were able to like do things without the constraints of uh, like corporate overlords or venture capitalists, you know? Yeah. It's just Mike and I backed what we did in, in when we were in 1994, which was just like, let's make shit and go enjoy the outdoors and like, let's make it so we like it. Yeah. And make sure that other people like it too. Yeah. And we can buck trends. You know, we've already started constructing bags differently than everyone else does it. We've already started to design bags um, in ways that other brands aren't. And yeah. we're 
so excited to release those products over the next few years. And that's never going to end because there's never ends. There's one, there's two rules in design. They're, they're contradictory. One is there's no end to good ideas. And then there's this other one that's like um, everything you can think of has already been done. Yeah. <laughs> but maybe not in the way that you wanted to. Yeah. So Mike and I have a bunch of new ideas that we're coming out with and we're going to take the risk and go for it. Yeah. We're going to try the things that other brands wouldn't try. That's awesome. So that's what's in our future. That's I would super say. inspirational. Yeah. Yep. What would you say? Just last couple questions. These can be brief answers too, if you want. If you want to take it, you can. Um, who, I guess, in in your journey, I know that you've both mentioned a couple people, but who would you say you pull the most inspiration from? Be it a mentor, be it you know somebody that you look up to. Who who would you say you pull the most inspiration from in the industry, or Jeez. not in the industry? I mean, I mean, of course, I've got mentors in the industry. Um, uh, you know, and not all these people are perfect. Sure. But like, um, you know, the whole founding team of Black Diamond, you know, Peter Metcalf, Bill Belcourt, you know, Chris Grover, what those guys did was incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, people who like Wayne Gregory, what he did, I think it was incredible. But more and more, I've been <laughs> drawing inspiration from comedians and vocalists. Because, like, in the creative space, those guys get up and, like, how do they make people laugh? Yeah. Like, that's so bold and risky. And you have to be so confident in yourself and deliver perfect. And yeah. so I've been drawing a, a lot of inspiration from various comedians that I know personally or just see on Netflix or whatever. Um, fellow creatives who are just going for it. Like, I don't think we use the art community as enough enough for inspiration. Yeah. But artists are like some of the most hardcore entrepreneurs in this in oh, the world. Absolutely. And yeah, no one gives them enough credit and they're always underpaid. Yeah. And so like my friends who I uh, you know, Trent Call, Chuck Landvatter, Zachary Proctor, you know, these artists in Salt Lake City who are just kicking ass yeah and they're doing it just because they they love it that's awesome what about you mike um i think it's a good one and i think i hopefully i've got all the names uh correct but uh her story is probably what's inspired me and sparked in me the uh uh, confidence i guess that i could do this uh sarah blakely uh the founder of Spanx. okay um yeah, her her story. I don't know. Actually, about the same time when I was kind of going, you know, going through my uh, uh, career transition there, going um, through it. Yeah. yeah, right. I went went to a, a Goldman. I'm a Goldman Sachs uh, 10,000 small business uh, graduate, um, and I went to their annual conference they had in, in Washington. And she she was one of the keynote speakers, and she gave her her speech. And basically, it was she was I think she was I don't know I don't know what her first job was, uh, faxing or writing or you know some very small menial office job. Um, and you know, trying to get to an office, and her 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 founding her uh, founding story was very inspiring to me. She's like, hey, you know, uh, I'm going to create this product, and I'm just going to go start selling it. And I'm just going to go like not even door to door. I'm going to go walk in Saks, and I'm going to go get an appointment with the buyer first thing. And like that's just how she, how she started it. But it was the idea of like picking yourself up, having the confidence to go to go do something, and get in the right places, and just go do it. And now 
she, you know, whatever. She started a whole bunch of different businesses and, yeah. you know, they're, they're wildly successful, but somehow just that story and like seeing her on the stage in front of everybody else was just like, Hey, that's uh, like, yeah, maybe I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's awesome. Well, um, where can, where can our, our listeners, where can we find you? Where can we find either you as you personally, or where can we find Pingora? Yeah. Uh, well, LinkedIn, I think just search, search for either one of us. We're on the web, pingora-gear.com and Instagram, pingora-gear. Sorry, no, Pingora Gear altogether. Yeah. We, uh, have over, do we have, do we have uh, 300 followers yet? We are up to 320 right now. So, so yeah. if you join now, then you can be <laughs> within our first 500 followers. That's a Instagram. good sales point. Yeah. You can be one of the OGs. Exactly. You can be followers. like, I followed those guys when they were little. Yeah, man. That's dope. Well, thank you both for coming on. I thought this was a really awesome conversation. Talked about a lot of stuff we don't normally talk about. Um, it was a little long, so we might split it into two episodes. We'll see what happens. But thank you both so much for giving me your time and for giving this podcast your time. It's much appreciated. So thanks, man. This thanks for the nice opportunity. Birthday. This is my first podcast. Yeah, boom. Number one, guys. <laughs> Bingo. Well, we got them early. I was I'm I'm an earlier follower of Pingora so Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks man. Cool. Thank you guys. Thanks. That's all. Cool. The end.